Hello and welcome to The Improverbial, a podcast where we unearth obscure sayings and phrases from around the world, invent absurd new proverbs, and talk about things mundane, spurious, irrelevant, and profound. I am the capitalist, Pete Kirkwood. And I'm Lisa Thavet, the tilt thinker. I've been doing and coaching improv for many years. Pete and I have been doing improv together for some of those years. This podcast is a mashup of Pete's interest in the science of well-being, my background in education and human development, our shared fascination with the world's idiomatic weirdness, and our superpowers in improv comedy. We are the Improv Verbializers. How you doing? Hey, Lisa. I'm doing capital. You're a cap. Oh, great. Now we got another proverb to to oh. to to track down and investigate. But okay, that's no, not I'm the fine. One. You're fine. That's uh, better. Instead. Thank you, sir. We are going to have fun today because we have got a proverb. We're going to get this right. We're, We're going to get it exactly right. We're going to give great attention to detail. You know what? We're going to get it down to, to the T. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, that's our proverb. Down to a T or down to the tea. I always say to a tea. You say to the tea. Down to a tea. No, you, you know to what? To a tea. To a tea. Yes. I don't always say down either. You know, I say to a tea, but yeah. that was also, I saw that out there. People say, let's get this down to a tea. Yeah. And what is yeah. that tea what is for that? goodness sakes? I know. You know, um, there's a lot of guesses out there what that is. Yeah, Some why not to a coffee? <laughs> or oh. to, or to a, an H. Yeah. Or to a, um, uh, to a, oh, your coffee, tea, or instead of a golf tea, like to a football. Um, oh, that's holder. also called a tea. Is it? Okay, <laughs> Sorry. whatever. That's my uh, sports, sporting the, my sport. I was thinking to a tea would be like, you know, you're a thawvette. My, my last name starts yeah. with tea. Yeah. Why don't we just do this down to a thawvette? Right. Why not that? Why not? But it's not what it is. Oh, um, also a T-square. Some people thought it's like, because the, right. of course the term means to do it down to the detail, like to do it exactly, right? to do it perfectly. Exactly. So a T-square yeah. might fit It makes fit sense because that. that's a device for uh, making sure things are perfectly square. and Perfectly square. So there hasn't anything definitive out there, but what I found was in um 1766, there is a quote out there that says, quote, I'll quote him to a tittle, to a, a tittle. tittle. Tittle is a word out there. And what does tittle mean? Cause it's not something I, I use every day. I don't know. You, you I, might I, use I don't it. know. I'm embarrassed to guess. I know I was too. Really? But the, follow me here. I will. Tittle by definition is a very small part of something. Mm, every, okay. And it means every little point. <laughs> so I wish the world could see your expression. It brings me to my first ideal of tittle. Uh, now another. Uh, you said that really suggestively. I did I a little bit. Okay, well you were right. I was suggesting oh, something. Really? Um, I didn't find anything out there that says that tittle has anything to do with tit, feet, boobies, or boobies or nipples. Um, but I can't help but be. think that tittle and um. Tit have something to do with each other. Now, of course, tit has to do with teat. You know, we've got teat right. from a an animal or I guess a woman, a person. <laughs> That's how, my wife loves it when I use that term. Yes. <laughs> I can see your teats. <laughs> Sorry, Liz. <laughs> but um, tittle is, yeah, definition, a very small part of something. So I think it still works. Anyway, 
There's a you know, theory I've out heard there. Carpenters and like tradesmen have an expression like right to the tits, meaning something's like perfect. Yeah. Well, I've heard Maybe that. Maybe it's like, like an archaic like, Somebody thinks something's great. Like that is tits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard that. It's very enlightened way of speaking. Are you sure it's not just like tits so. are great and therefore this is as great there as is tits? That. I mean, I don't know. If you feel that way, I do. I think, I, I mean, think I, that's enjoy, I enjoy them. <laughs> they're, they're really cool. Not in a creepy way, I hope, but you know. Um, what, I'm digging a, a hole here. In, stop. A, in, a, stop. in a Michelangelo sculpture <laughs> way? Is okay, that what sure. you mean? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's because you <laughs> enjoy motorboating or anything. <laughs> It's Come because on. of the shape and form of the human uh, physique, Pete. I'm sure that's what you're talking about. So, well, anyway, oh, let's get back to 1766, yeah, where here. we all know tits didn't even exist back then. <laughs> they were just recently Wait, invented. I've seen they tits were invented. On, on Renaissance paintings. Were what? those retouched? Did they, they were like put those back on for later? the modern eye. They oh, put those on there. Okay. <laughs> Wait, this part's supposed to be true. I know my that. brain went to so many untrue places. Oh, that's that we also retract all those last. We, we, we do. Well. So anyway, um, this is where they think it came from. Um, that I quote him to a tittle, meaning I'll quote him to a very small part of something, right. um, to the tiniest amount. I'm going to look like at exactitude, the exactitude. Mm, and that got, mm. uh, whittled down to, to a T. Started as to a tittle, then became to a teat, to a possibly, and then to a. T we're going to add that middle part. Yeah, we're going to say down to a tit, and then or it was teat. down to a teat. Uh, it's more to a teat. proper and old fashioned. Yeah. So now you know. Next time you use this proverb, you're actually referencing um, nipples. You're not. But we just that we seems just unclear. That. We didn't imply we, that. But I, there does I'm not seem to be any historical. There's no historical context. But you and I are investigators, <laughs> and there's some deduction in our work. Okay. And that's what we just we're, did. We're just going to declare that now. So please be very sensitive um, when you use this terminology. Some people may find it to be, be suggestive. Careful. Just like you would treat any teat with care and sensitivity and sensitivity <laughs> and loving kindness. Yes. Pete, it's nice to hear a little bit how you are as a lover anyway. All right. <laughs> what are some other ways around this? You know, right, so what, what did this bring to mind? I don't to know. You? So I was thinking about like, everybody wants things to be perfect. Yes. Like all things like to suit them right to a T. And that means that people are drawn to opportunities or think situations that have many, many choices because mm -hmm. they figure they can choose just the perfect thing for themselves. Um, like, if there's 50 pairs of jeans, 50 styles of jeans, right? You can find the pair that fits you right to a T and everything better than like if there's only three choices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. jeans is really important that it fits really well, especially for females. It's like, it's got to hit right on the butt, right? Gotta, on the hips, right? On the thighs, right? right. You got to have the thigh gap. perfect. And on the tits, but the jeans don't go on the tits. <laughs> oh. so you're wearing a jean well, jacket. Uh, you can wear like a... Uh, you know, uh, that's like a big, it's a thing like of overalls. The overalls. Yeah. A lot of, yeah. A lot of kids these days are wearing the overalls. And yeah. And the, the buckles are hitting right on the tips. <laughs> and the bell bottom right trousers. The <laughs> and the break dancing. <laughs> yeah. We're really hip on this show. <laughs> so. That's why the youngsters like our show. <laughs> so, so what your, your point is that. My point is that people options. really like yeah. to have many choices, but I think I've mentioned this before that like. Lots of choices often will sometimes can result in what they call choice paralysis. Mm. Um, and studies show that when consumers have too many choices, they're likely to buy nothing. They're more likely to buy nothing at all. And if oh. they do buy there, they tend to be less satisfied with their overall choice. It's, it's oh, a weird, it's counterintuitive. 
I, yeah, but I can relate to that. You, I mean, your example of jeans is a great example. Right. Like, because like, like oh, if you think of the Gap or Levi's, like if you go in these Levi's, yeah. you know, they have all these like different Like they have the cuts. acid wash and have the parachute pants. And, <laughs> yeah. and the, with the, yeah. The, um, it's hard to choose, right? When there's too the many MC choices. The hammer, yeah, hammer pants. The hammer pants. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I can't, I'm forget can't about it. Um, I can't touch this. Yeah. No, but so like that's sometimes like more choice is like means more time spent in, yeah. in, and more effort in decision-making. Right. And it also can lead to like anxiety, regret, excessively high expectations. And then like self-blame if things don't work out. So like you also were like, if there's only chocolate, vanilla and strawberry, it's easy. Right. And yes. after you chose chocolate, you're like, oh darn, I should've got vanilla. The, you know, but if there's like 75 flavors, you sit there for half an hour, you try a whole bunch of stuff and you end up getting mint chocolate chip anyway, cause it's the best flavor in the world. Um, but then you're like, maybe I should have gotten the butter raisin chip rum, rum brickle, or rum maybe brickle. I should have gotten the double diaper explosion ba bash or something. And instead <laughs> you just went ahead with the freaking mint chocolate chip. And then you're like, oh dude, and you're eating it. And then by the time you figured out that, you know what, you're halfway done and you're stripping down your elbow. It sucks. It sucks. Too well, many choices is not a good thing. Gee, you Too should go into ice choice. cream naming business. <laughs> I went into the Double beer naming business. Double diaper explosion. <laughs> I forget what I said. I want that flavor. <laughs> what being there? Um, how about um, Band-Aid Blast? The Band-Aid Blast. <laughs> I think in the diaper explosion, it's like, or, a, like um, a, a, a prune puree. Oh, mincemeat prune puree. Yeah, it's the diaper explosion. Yeah. So it's like anytime you mix a, an, an edible object and meat, in a flavor, it's going to be terrible. Is try it? it? Okay. I'm going to try that next time. Yeah. Chicken breast, um, Wellington boot. <laughs> um, yeah, Pete, you know what? We're proclaiming a lot of things. I got here things that, to say here though. Okay. Yeah. We, I own a brewery, right? We have lots of beers. There's all this mm. pressure always to have more and more and more beers on the, on the wall because some guy comes in and he's like, you guys should have a green Irish stout because it's St. Patrick's Day and you got, you guys should have a, a super sour, dusty old gizzet, you know? And <laughs> we're like, yeah. And one person would buy it. Right. And also it would make more anxiety and regret for other people who were like, I should have gotten that super sour Wellington chicken breast, you know, fermented. Ap apricot, <laughs> apricot pencil dust. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But God, where am I going with this? Well, um, and so is there a magic number? So, for, yeah. So there's yeah. all this pressure to push it outwards and I'm always pushing inwards, okay. trying to have fewer and fewer things on the wall. Mm -hmm. We end up at about a dozen or so. Um, and okay. maybe 14 because we also have like wine and cider and stuff for people that want to drink beer. Yeah. Losers. No, just kidding. <laughs> I also love wine and cider. Um, He's he looked at I'm me also when loser, he said but, that. Um, so anyway, there isn't, it's hard. It's a tension yeah. because creativity for the brewers and covering, you know, people that do have particularly obscure or maybe slightly off center tastes. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, just remember, you know, more choices does not equal more satisfaction. Yeah. It's fact studies show it's kind of the opposite. Well, um, so where my research went on to, and I think it's going to tie into what you're talking about yeah. here is I was interested because one of the theories of to a T is it had to do with a t-shirt. Um, and so I started thinking about this t-shirt idea because mm -hmm. these are so ubiquitous in, I'm going to claim in almost all cultures. I mean, even these remote cultures, like you and I have traveled in some places where they're up in, in hilltops and they'll be wearing t-shirts on there. Even on the hilltops. <laughs> the hilltops have got a t-shirt on. <laughs> and so I started totally. looking at this and- um, I'm wearing one. You're wearing one mm -hmm. right now? Yeah. I got like a tank Taylor's top t-shirt. Taylor's got one on. Our, our sound guy, Taylor, he's got, he's got one on too. So- um. So I started looking at this and, you know, in ancient times, there was a tunic 
The tunic, if that's a shape it of a with T. T. It starts with a T. It's a shape of a T. And you slip it on without buttons. I mean, that is the, that's the categorization or the characteristic of a T-shirt. Slip it on, oh. no buttons. So that's way ancient times. Is a tunic like a poncho? Like, like you with the hole for the head type thing? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, they're a little distinct, but maybe. Okay. Similarities. Um. But if we bring it more to more recent times, we're looking at about in the 1800s, it, the, the undergarment were long johns, right? So you had these long johns. Um, they were one piece. And then um, in around 1898, the Spanish-American War, there was a, the Cooper Underwear Company. They were the first to separate the long johns. So you had the bottom half Come and on. the top half. They were the first- it's, Surely somebody out there was like, well, this is frustrating to have just one piece. We're, I guess we're talking North America then because, uh, this, okay. Yeah. Let's just say they're the first to I, I buy it, pro, the, popularize well, it or something or sell it as a product. Right. I mean, uh-huh. in general, it was one piece. Yeah. I'm sure there was others that had separated right. it, but they were the first to, yeah. as you say, popularize it. Um, and they started to market it as they called it a bachelor undershirt. That was their marketing ploy was because this was bachelor. I, uh, you know, you could you might have, take your shirt off when you're out there. I don't know. Uh, chopping wood. Well, yeah. Then this you're, you're, and it was awkward because you couldn't take your sh- shirt off without you're taking your underpants off in the before, old, before this. And now you could take just your shirt off in 1913, the U S Navy issued these bachelor undershirts. And that was the Even first time the there was this men? mass. Probably. Probably. Uh-huh. This is where there was this big mass um, use of these. Right. I think yeah. what we consider like the white tee now. Uh-huh. Um, and then in, 19, in the 1920s um, is when T-shirt first appeared in Webster's. So about seven, seven to 10 years after the U.S. Navy's issue uh-huh. of these. Um, it's first coined in the F. Scott Fitzgerald book, This Side of Paradise, coined the term T-shirt. Get out. And then it showed F. up Scott in Webster's. made up this word? He made this up. <gasps> what? Yeah. Now, the popularization for people outside of the military was in the 1950s, Marlon Brando in Streetcar oh, yeah. Named Desire. Oh, yeah. If you look at that poster, mm-hmm. he's there hunking it out, making that T-shirt looking good. Bacheloring it up. Yeah. And now I think if we think of T-shirts, though, they're really famous for these slogans and logos, right? In mm-hmm. 1960s is when there started to be expressions put on, People's printed clothing, onto- yeah. Yeah onto the t-shirt, like whether that's a billboard for advertisement mm-hmm. or um, like before that, the only time someone would have some like writing on their clothing would probably be like, there were like a clerk in a store or something where there was like part of a uniform or even like in the military, it might have their name on it or something. On the like, t-shirt? Yeah, before that, I'm sure it must've been a strange experience to start suddenly seeing people like with messages and blazing across like a billboard. Clothes. That was something really novel yeah. and new. Mm-hmm. The 1960s is when we started seeing that. Yeah. Um, now we, um, now some statistics, 60% of Americans own at least 10 t-shirts. And who owns the rest of them? <laughs> <laughs> but that rings true. I don't know. Oh how my that God. Rings. And a lot, I think lots of Americans own like a hundred, hundreds of t-shirts. Yeah. It gets, I mean, I don't like, you know, like you signed up for a 5k and never saw all of a sudden you, you get, get another t-shirt. t-shirt. I'm like, you know, I don't want the t-shirt. I don't want another t-shirt. I don't want the swag bag. I don't want that gooey flavor stuff that you squeeze when you're eating, when the you're gel, running. The, that's the gross. Energy gel. I'm here to tell you that stuff is gross and I don't think anyone should eat it. And, <laughs> um, and then all that other crap that they give you, I don't want it. You don't want I don't want to be a curmudgeon, but I don't want a bunch more stuff. I because just want to where run does a 5K. it go? 
Hey, please. You know where it goes? It goes onto my kitchen counter for like years and some kitchen drawer for years until I eventually threw it away and have never used it. And then then that t-shirt ends up finally finding its way to some hilltop somewhere. (laughs) Some hilltop (laughs) and somebody wearing it there. Well, that's true. Well, um, just to talk about landfills, um, in 1980s, 1980, Mm -hmm. there was 5 billion pounds of textile waste. Oh, man. Um, 2015, so we're talking uh, 35 years later, it's 32 billion. So we went from 5 billion of textile waste to 32 billion. Um, The good news, 95% of that stuff can be recycled. But it'd be um, hard to get it, how to dig it up from the landfill at this point. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but even getting people to recycle it or or reuse. Yeah. I mean, Um, how many people recycle their t-shirts? Like exactly 0.01%. Exactly. I don't even know. I I, I would be the person who would know how to do that. And I have no clue how you do that. Yeah. You know, you know, it was, uh, I mean, I recycle into a rag. Yeah, usually it's a rag or it goes, you know, to the Goodwill or Salvation Army and we, we, we give it to others. I think that they are doing, they do well at doing some recycling. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh my God. That's because that's why you see like random t-shirts from Vermont in like Sierra Leone and stuff like that. Exactly. um, I, I can't remember who it was, but we, I was somewhere, it might've been in um, Peru and I was with a friend and they saw somebody with a U of M t-shirt and uh, somebody local. And they're like, oh my gosh, do you know U of M? I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing. They did not attach to U of M <laughs> yeah, and I, they weren't. Right. So my, I grew up in this village t-shirt. in Pennsylvania called Shawnee, Shawnee yeah. on Delaware, Pennsylvania. And we have a ski hill there. It's called Shawnee mountain. I was in the weekend market in Bangkok, Chak market. And um, this guy comes elbowing through the crowd wearing a ski Shawnee t-shirt. Oh and I'm my like, gosh. Oh my that's from, from my village in Pennsylvania. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so you asked him, where, has he skied the hill? Yeah, he, he was like, I'm actually Thai uh, giant solid team. Um, <laughs> Thai Olympic team, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so t-shirt to a T, you know, a lot of stuff starts with T, including my last name. Yeah, it's one of the best things about T. It is my last name. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and then on my thing about choice and everything, like I don't think everyone yeah. should really try to get everything down to a T all the time, just like any old consonant. All right, here comes the... The bestest part, the part when it's all made up. It's a whole bunch of fabrications and prevarications that we're about to engage in. Everything else you're going to hear for this podcast is completely false and made up on the spot. By me and Lisa. Yeah. All right. Having fun playing. Yeah. So uh, I guess now's the time where I'll turn to the Proverbatron machine, the magically sparkling and beautiful and perfectly maintained machine. It is like polished and sparkling to it. Tea right to a now. tea. We just, we really yeah. put our elbow yeah. grease into this, totally. didn't and we? The boardroom review, they supplied all the cleaning supplies and all the uh, uh, spare parts and stuff to get it just so it's super, it just precision right. Anyway, the Proverbatron is the machine which spits out the random words, which are, you, you know, the listeners send in a random word, goes in the Proverbatron and it spits out the right one for today. And from that, we will generate our new proverb. So uh, let's press that button right now. Ready? Gaspacho. Oh, and the first word for today is gaspacho. Gaspacho. All right. I'm going to push the button here for our second word. Crater. Crater. Crater is our second word. Oh, yes. This is obvious. You don't have enough gaspacho to fill that crater, right? (laughs) That old chestnut. Oh, gosh. that is. I love that. I mean, never do I have enough gazpacho to fill a crater. (laughs) The craters that I make. Oh my God, man. You need a lot of gazpacho. Yeah. So, I mean, I love gazpacho. 
Do you like gazpacho? Um, I get my it if you gus- don't. My gazpacho experience is limited. I haven't had a lot of scratch. You don't even know what it is. Like it's like it's like a cold tomato cold. cucumber soup, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Liz makes great. I mean, I don't even. To me, it's like gross. Warm soup. I'm cold soup, but I'm like Liz was like, come on, you gotta try it. It's gonna be great, and it's really good. Well, um, yeah, and you know who really likes gazpacho? Kindergartners. They do. Yeah, five years old. If this is, I. This they is, haven't learned yet that soup's supposed to be warm. Uh, well, let me, no, they don't know that. Obviously five-year-olds don't know the difference between hot and cold. I mean, everybody knows that. <laughs> um, but this is the research that I find. They did an, an experiment with five-year-olds, not four-year-olds, not six-year-olds. Oh, really? Right on the five. Right on the five. And the five-year-olds, they um, they put them in a freezer. Oh, the kids. The or ki- the f- the, no, the kids. The uh-huh. kids in a freezer. Um, and they, they took them out. They took their temperature before they took their temperature after they were warmer coming out after the freezer. <laughs> Wait, yeah. and how's that connected to gazpacho again? So let's okay, bring it sorry, to sorry, bring the your, soup yeah, part. Zoom. So then they were fed soup. Oh, and they felt like the soup was warm because they were so cold. Exactly. Right? Oh. Exactly. So, so their temperature like, is completely off. And it's if, not about really how hot the soup is. It's about how hot the kid the, is. The child is exactly. Oh. So the children get warmed mm-hmm. up going in mm-hmm. the freezer. Now you might be asking why five. Yeah, I am asking that. Why five? Why five? Not four. <laughs> not six. It has to do with you. How many fingers do you have, Pete? I have. Five. I have five. Okay, there you have your answer. Oh, because well, it, it does. There's a, a lot of numerology in fives. You know, mm-hmm. and I also I thought it had something to do with the um the uh what's that part of the brain amygdala? Yeah, the amygdala. It's yes, it's when it like reaches maturity at five, it, and there's this surge of like um thermal, uh, like thermal uh, magnetism. To, well, yeah, but no, more like the ability to balance thermal, you know, intake and output. Yeah. So those five year olds, they really can stay warm. It's amazing. They never want to put their boots on. They it's time never, to go to school. They're like, they don't want to zip their coat. No. They don't want to put on the leggings and, 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 and yeah. all the adults yeah, are running exactly. around, get it on. You're going to freeze to death. Right, you're going to get right. pneumonia and die. And these five-year-olds yeah. are like, I am boiling up here. Cause it's the first time all the five. numbers mm-hmm. on their hand is matching their the fingers of their gloves, the fingers mm-hmm. on their glove and their, their, um, biological age and their amygdala, um, maturation. Yeah, totally. Um, anyway, gazpacho is really just a way to get rid of a whole bunch of tomatoes, I think. So just to, <laughs> I'm going back to oh, yeah. my original conversation about gazpacho. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's always a glut, a tomato glut. And actually that's where, did you know that's where gazpacho um, originally came from? I did, it's was reading in, about In that. Italy, this yeah. like, um, it's a town called gazpacho. Mm-hmm. It's called, actually called Santo Gazpacho. And they, it was a saint. Yeah. After. Yeah. Of course. Okay. And everyone knows that Italy's famous for its tomatoes, but like the, there, there was year after year, they would just have a, such a huge harvest. They used to know what to do with it. And the next town over is Santo Concombre is where they were having the same problem, but they were big on cucumbers. Right. So they were like, they got together and like, what are we going to do? And they just created this, this soup that is called, isn't that it's come to be known as gazpacho. Yeah. It was just a way to get rid of a glut. Yeah. And then what I read was they had a big party. They like, they got the two vegetables together. They boiled them in a big pot. They all got wasted. The pot, the fire went out under the pot and they woke up the next morning. They look at their soup. They're like, I'm so damn hung over. I'm going to just eat this soup. I don't give a care. And what? It's delicious cold. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's a little known fact about gazpacho origins. Yeah. It's a, it's from a town, the towns of San Gaspacho and San Cucumbre, yeah. which are close to each other in the Liguria region. 
of Italy. Yeah, that's so their neighbors. They were warring at one point, but after the Gaspaccio peace treaty, it yeah, really- the Gaspaccio. And they actually, that cauldron, you can still see it. They're, um, they actually cut the cauldron in half. Um, I know that's kind of weird because now they can't use it to make a spot anymore, but each, they, 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 you know, they were having conflict over who gets the cauldron, but then they didn't yeah. want to have it going back to the they old wars. They didn't want to be at So war, they just right? cut that sucker right in half. And this town square of each town, mm-hmm. they have um, half of the old Gaspaccio, the original Gaspaccio cauldron they mm-hmm. used. For yeah. That. And they've yeah. got them laid out, like kind of splayed out in the middle of the town center um, on its side. And it looks a bit like a crater. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like a crater there because yeah. it's unrecognizable as a pot. No. Yeah. Um, and it's the thing is that also that's a volcanic region. So crater in, you know, in that part of Italy. So there's so craters uh, were kind of common in the landscape and yeah. they like the way that it mirrored their landscape. Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah. artful eye there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and because of this kind of peaceful way, they never want to um, kind of like this idea of abundance, like you can never have enough gazpacho. Like we have enough peace and love and we're just going to cut that cauldron in half Yeah, and we're going to make these craters and you can't fill it. You can't yeah, fill it yeah. enough. From the original Italian no posso bastanti gaspacci per genarti si cratero. Cratero, yeah. Si, yeah. So that's that's from the original Italian, but like you don't have enough gaspacci to fill that crater. It's just all about everybody getting together and mm-hmm. overcoming their difficulties and mm-hmm. filling, you know, knowing that there's always going to be like there's that crater is always there and the, the gaspacho will be, be, be there for everybody. We can all enjoy it and no more fighting. And if you got a hangover, you know, <sighs> cold gazpacho. Yeah, the best. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Improverbial. Do you want to improvise with us? You can yes and The Improverbial podcast and be a sponsor. Please reach out to theimproverbial at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>